so I went to Loughborough University uh, to study fine art. Um, mm. But Loughborough University is um, primarily um, known for its sports and it's a sport, it tends to be a sports uni, but it's very good for its art as well. So mm. I kind of picked up triathlon for a bit of fun in the, in the tri club to keep fit, really, because I used to swim when I was younger. So I'd pick up swimming again, hunt swam for six years. Um, and then I, yeah, so it just got fit very quick, I suppose, because I had a big engine from swimming. Yeah. Um, and before I knew it, I was doing time trials to get onto the um, world-class performance program or the potential performance program, they called it back then. This episode of the Smart Athlete Podcast is brought to you by Solpri. If you're active at all, whether you're running or simply out walking for the day, you've probably experienced one of the number one problems that active people have, and that's chafing. Solpri's all-new, all-natural anti-chafe balm solves that problem while feeding your skin the vital nutrients it needs to be healthy. If you'd like to stop chafing once and for all and treat your body right, Go to Solpri.com to check out the anti-chafe bomb today. And that's S-O-L-P-R-I.com. Welcome to the Smart Athlete Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Funk. My guest today is a former pro triathlete who raced ITU with the British Triathlon team. She's also an artist. If you are not on the YouTube version of the show, if you're on iTunes, Spotify, anywhere that's just audio, for this one in particular, you definitely gonna have to go to YouTube, youtube.com slash Solpri, that's S-O-L-P-R-I, uh, and join us so you can see all of her very awesome work behind her. Welcome to the show, Vanessa Ra. Hi. <laughs> Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, like, we're both working in different time zones. I do this from time to time where it's like, you're probably going to be going off to dinner and I've just got done with like my swim in the morning. I probably still got a little bit of like the raccoon eyes from my goggles going on. So it's, it's always nice to like be able to figure out a time when we can get together, even though we're in very, very different places uh, for our days. Um, so we were talking before we got going. Uh, you couldn't quite remember when you had started triathlon. Obviously you're retired now, but Tell me about getting into it. If you can remember, like, why did you get into it? How, how did that all kind of get started? Uh, so I went to Loughborough University uh, to study fine art. Um, mm. But Loughborough University is um, primarily um, known for its sports. And it's a sport. It tends to be a sports uni, but it's very good for its art as well. So mm. I kind of picked up triathlon for a bit of fun in the, in the tri club to keep fit really so I used to swim when I was younger so I'd pick up swimming again hunt swam for six years um and then I yeah so it just got fit very quick I suppose because I had a big engine from swimming yeah um, and before I knew it I was doing time trials to get onto the um world-class performance program or the potential performance program they called it back then and um yeah and I got on and then <laughs> I just went from there and it all got very serious very quick <laughs> um, I was allowed to do my degree over six years which was useful mm. um and probably kept me sane actually as well so because somewhere I could actually paint whilst yeah. I was like but um and um yeah I was and then I 
retired in 2015, 2016. That one's a bit hazy, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, so I started in like 2005, basically. Yeah. So it's kind of funny when it's like when you stop, did you continue racing or training afterwards or was it just like all together stop, like just letting it go, not worried about it anymore? Actually, it was, yeah, I think I, I think I got, um, I'm trying to remember, but I, I got something that, I think it was the flu, something that stopped me completely for three, three months. Okay. Flu and injury, like a bad injury, stress fracture or something. Mm-hmm. Um and so I went to total zero and I think that was quite good because it kind of like reset what the norm is yeah. then when I was allowed to just do 45 minutes of exercise a day it felt completely normal yeah <laughs> and completely acceptable um and I kind of realized actually that I trained like a maniac to be good at triathlon even mm. though I think a lot of people probably thought I was training that hard for other reasons and probably and, and used to say oh you'd never be able to stop exercising like the way you do and I was like well I, I do it to be good for the triathlon and now I just put the the energy and that determination that I have into my art yeah um so I guess most people don't have that the other thing that they're as passionate or more passionate about like for me triathlon was always second my art was always first yeah uh, and triathlon kind of I guess got in the way for a while actually um I mean it was good but it was hard it was hard definitely yeah. I, I back on it with mixed feelings still so was it a matter of like you know you just found yourself being so good at it so quickly that it's like let's let's see where this goes it, it was kind of like that feeling where you know where you feel like you should be doing it because you've obviously got talent for it and so mm-hmm. you think I can't waste that I have to be doing that I should be fulfilling my potential um and then I've been told I have like crazy high VO2 max mm-hmm. um I've got all this potential that I need to fulfill but I keep getting injured because my body can't keep up with the rate of my engine yeah um, I think that's probably quite typical for swimmers ex-swimmers um and so just on this constant cycle of, like, at the first two years were amazing. So there was no expectation. And I did well really quick. And then after that, as soon as I was getting injured, and, and at that point I had sponsors and managers and stuff and people to keep happy. Yeah. As soon as I was getting injured, it was just like this, yeah, constant cycle of, felt like constant cycle of disappointment. It was, yeah. I, I don't think I ever did a race after the first two years where there wasn't something wrong when I stood on that start line. Mm-hmm. My, best, my best year was 2006, and I'd only been training a year. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's crazy. And after that, I was, it was starting the start line defeated because I knew, A, I was injured or unwell or unfit. So, so what? Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, so then, so 2006 to, to I mean, you're, you're basically – almost 10 years, nine, 10 years after that point, you continue racing, yeah. you know, like, and you know that there's always something going wrong or you're always battling injuries. And I, I, you know, I think that's more common than we like to talk about. And you probably, um, 
you know, spoke with the girls and maybe got more of an insight than I would certainly. Um, but what, you know, what keeps driving you to come back to the start line? If you know, it's just a constant struggle of, okay, okay something, this isn't quite right today, or that's not, you know, how do you keep going or why do you keep going? You're cutting out a bit there, but um, okay. I think I think I got what you said. Yeah. Um. What what's what keeps me wanting to get onto the start line? If it's a constant, yeah. Um. I guess um the reason why I kept going on the start line was pressure from sponsors that I had and, and coaches that I had to get on the start line. And the reason why I kept training every day that was more from like with this hope that I would get every, every single, I had this injury that went off for seven years, same, and I'd wake up every day trying to find out the answer for it. It was like, it was just, it was stupid. It was just like this twisted pelvis, but I went from being super strong on the bike. It was going to be domestic in the Olympics. And um, I, I felt like there was a point where uh, I didn't know, I just felt, really like the best of her felt on the bike this is like 2009 sort of time 2010 and then I had a a crash and it was a really really like small was it I barely recognized it as a crash but I knocked something out of place and then from then on I then sat twisted on the bike and Mm. felt like I was only riding with one leg um, and that went on for the rest of my triathlon career I never got it sorted and I've still got issues with it now um, and ultimately, that's what made me stop because things like stress fractures, you know, it's only going to be six weeks, eight weeks, and you come back from it. But things like this, I, it was affecting my power. Mm-hmm. I, it felt like I was half the amount of power because I felt like I was riding with one leg and it was so uncomfortable and I couldn't run off it without pain in my back and my back cramping and God knows what. And, um, and every day I'll get into the gym and just try and look at it afresh like a new problem what is going wrong what's happening because no physios no one had the answer mm-hmm. no one could tell me wrong and in the end I made you think that it was all in your head like it was going mad and people just complete like people just say it was in your head even though someone knew like I remember Helen Jenkins Mark Jenkins you know Helen Jenkins yeah um yeah. he he had a look at me on the bike. He was like, Vanessa, why are you sitting off the side? I was like, I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, thank you for acknowledging it. Thanks, someone acknowledging this. Um, I don't know. And no one could tell me why. And and no one could tell me why that, that it was continuing to be twisted and there's nothing apparently that can be done. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I, I just suppose I've just determination that I'd find the answer that day. Yeah. or something would happen today or that and then everything would be so much better you know I suppose it's just that hope isn't it the optimism I am yeah. actually an optim- optimistic person I guess I've got to be but um it certainly tests you that's for sure <laughs> yeah well and it's it's almost not surprising to me that you said a lot of people said it's in your it's in your head you know like it's not actually because there's this, like such this this culture of like, just push harder, like, it'll be fine, all performance. And then, but the thing that gets me is that when you talk to like a coach or somebody or an athlete that's been through it, it's like, how can you doubt somebody, like in your case, that that 
knows their body so well. You push it all the time. Like you're intimately familiar with how your body feels. And if yeah. you say it's off, like believe that person, even if yeah. you can't figure it out, you know, we can't experience what you experienced. Only you experience your own body. So it's like, who am I to say? Like it just says, it just, it boggles my mind that there's not better awareness that you would know better that there's something wrong with you, even if we can't identify it. I know. I know. It's, um, I, I just, I hope things have changed. And I think they have changed a lot. I used to think that the way they people coached, it was like one size fits all. Like they just yeah. assumed that all athletes needed pushing in the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, I was certainly an athlete that needed holding back. Um, uh, I was probably an athlete who would just keep going, 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 going until I don't know, collapse and died. I needed mm-hmm. someone to say, look, no, something's wrong. You've got to stop. Um, so, and I think and my last coach recognized that right at the end, but at that point I decided to quit. And he realized that actually, um, yeah, I was not an athlete who needed to be tested and pushed and pushed and pushed like some athletes needed to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, so I had like... Ugh, as well as all these injuries had ongoing health problems with my thyroid and stuff um mm-hmm. and disease and um again with that you know um they just presume oh well you know she's still going she's still pushing hard you know there's obviously nothing wrong with her and and i'm not going to keep shouting shouting you know please help me someone help me i'm just going to try and keep going um and just do my best but um you know um you end up feeling like you feel like screaming for help at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, you actually realize no, no one's going to help you. The only person that's going to help you is yourself. And yeah. that's, I started studying functional medicine. Um, and that changed my life actually. Yeah. See, just hearing all that, I wish, so my guest last week, I was telling you before we kind of got going was Scott Johnston and, um, author of the uphill athlete so uh but we were talking about you know people like you and the other pros especially if i had to put money on it more of them are going to be like you and don't need to be pushed than need to be pushed like you're already this hyper type a like you're going to push yourself to the limit and he always what what he mentioned uh especially in his like olympic athletes is like if he noticed that they were peaking too soon or they they become at risk of injury. He, he would have to say, no, we're not training. We're going back to base. We're doing like breaking because this is going to be an issue and like recognizing that stuff early on. So I, obviously you can't go back. I wish somebody like Scott had been in your corner to, I to, to that recognize that. I definitely didn't have that coach ever in my whole sporting career. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think it, and maybe it's a, a matter of like, you know, I don't know how many coaches are former athletes, you know, there are some, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Barb Linquist, but, uh, so she would have retired. She raced in the 2004 Olympics. So she would have retired soon around the time you were starting your pro career. Um, but so she's a former pro and she does coach now. So, and she's pretty laid back. But I almost think maybe I would be curious to see the number of coaches that 
didn't have a pro career and it's maybe it's their internal drive of wanting to see their athletes succeed because they didn't if that affects that like pushing mentality yeah probably so yeah <laughs> so you're talking yeah. you're i think you mentioned um studying functional medicine after or yeah or something. um so when i went so after Loughborough, i moved to london mm-hmm. um i actually got a random call from elton john's manager um saying oh i'd like to look at your art and at this point i was like before this happened the, the day before this happened i'd actually said right the next opportunity that comes along i'm saying yes to mm-hmm. i can't do the triathlon anymore this was like 2011 and um anyway he rang and he said, I'd like to talk to you up, come down, come down for Elton John's party and uh, we'll discuss it. I'm like, um, okay. <laughs> so I go down to London and he persuades me to keep going with triathlon, that he'll get me a coach, uh, he'll get me sponsors, he'll get me someone to stay, I should move down to London, um, he'll help me with art and um, let's try and go to the 2012 Olympics. I'm like, mm, I haven't run for nine months. <laughs> I'm not sure about 2012 Olympics, but, you know, I'll give it a go. Um, and, yeah, so, I mean, it was really good. And how could I say no to that opportunity? So I went down to London and um, and I got all those things, you know, the coach, you know, um, some sponsors and um, was doing my art in this. Uh, I, I got a, a big kind of flat and I was doing my art in the open plan living room. So it was like the dream life for me being able to manage everything together but I guess I because of not much time and I was already not great with my thyroid and adrenals were pretty screwed as well anyway I pushed it way too hard too quick because we were in a rush to get try and qualify mm-hmm. um that getting um I guess that you don't call it adrenal fatigue do you but adrenal insufficiency um mm-hmm. they can put on my ass and um and you're meant to produce some, it's like, you're meant to produce ACCH in response to that to show you what sort of adrenal output you have. And I'd like pretty much zero. He's like, oh, like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how you're still actually moving right now. Um, uh, and I I was barely, not barely moving. I, you know, I was dragging my feet. I'd just been trying to get points for the Olympics and, um, and finishing the race and just collapsing straight away. Somehow you get through the race and then I was just ugh, drained of all my energy and I mm-hmm. couldn't actually walk after the race. Um, and this has happened, like, actually just thinking of it now, I know why, you know, back then I was like, how could I do a race? And then now I can't walk, you know? And, uh, and I think that's what a lot of people thought of me. Oh, she's just faking it, you know, that sort of thing. I, I, yeah. I presume people just thought I was just making all this up but actually it was genuinely fucked sorry no you're fine <laughs> and I did that bit um and um yeah so um uh yeah so I did all that and yeah so then I changed coach I got a new coach Tom Bennett he really helped me for the first time be able to run pain-free and first time since I was a child mm. um by breaking down my run form and starting again and it was absolutely amazing um so I was getting injured less my run started improving and at the same time met uh, Tamsin Lewis 
she's um, an ex, she's in a functional medicine doctor basically, and she's an ex um, long distance athlete, pro, pro long distance athlete. She did it pro for a bit, but she's um, she's a really good functional medicine doctor. And I know she kind of helped me with my health. She could see I was struggling with different things and was getting weird symptoms and um, like dizziness, which now I'm thinking, it, that was obviously to do with the adrenals um and so I started studying everything and um and I got on and off antidepressants I mean I was a complete mess like the long short of it I hit rock bottom and managed to come back from that um but I had to really I stopped with um the management company um and and just it was, it was doing long distance this time so I've missed that bit out I was doing long distance stuff and um that helped a bit and I was definitely better at long distance um but still I had this ongoing issue with my pelvis and I couldn't mm -hmm. run off because my back was so screwed um so those I I was performing a training but I just couldn't I couldn't run off a, a half Ironman bike or an Ironman bike it was just too painful nerve-wise and stuff so that would be, it was all very frustrating and um I tried and tried for a while until then I quit in 2016 um but yes but having I quit triathlon thinking that would sort out my health issues with the thyroid and autoimmunity as well but it didn't not immediately obviously I'm asking less for my body but I was quite surprised that oh I'm still got issues and and I guess as well when you're really fit and you have like this huge amount of um, mitochondria and fitness, that kind of disguises a lot of issues, I think. And then when you suddenly stop, and I didn't train for three months because I can't even remember now illness or injury. Um, I also had my ankles done, so I couldn't train for six months when I had those reconstructed. Um, then you suddenly realize it kind of like highlights all the kind of problems that you do have. And um, yeah, so I don't I don't know how much in detail you want me to go into the functional medicine stuff, or if it's really boring to people. But um, yeah, I managed to get on top of my thyroid issues. Um, that suppose like with T three actually T three only. I don't. This can be an issue for a lot of people. Um, a lot of people go on to normal thyroxine, a given liver thyroxine. They're told that they're oh yeah, your results are all fine now. You should be feeling much better. Um, and and the, the way I felt was, well, no, I still feel just as underactive as I ever did. And they're like, well, no, your results are saying you're fine. I'm like, well, no, I feel awful. Um, and then you kind of learn that actually what's kind of pumping around in the blood in terms of thyroxine doesn't necessarily, it's not necessarily a reflection of what's getting in the cell. And especially if you're adrenally fatigued or, you know, insufficient. So you haven't enough cortisol to take the, take the thyroid into the cell. Um, and I ended up finding out about uh, T3-only um, therapy, and, and it changed my life. I mean, my brain switched on. I could sleep for the first time in 15 years. Um, I wasn't depressed anymore. Uh, yeah, so, and so that's where I am now. But although, having said that, I, um, I didn't even know if I was going to be able to do this podcast today because I, in the last month, got really interactive. Um, I haven't been stable for two years. Mm -hmm. Had the test result, 
and um, a few days ago, and so under, so interactive that Tamsin, who took my blood, didn't even believe the result. He's like, "There's no, I can't believe it. We we'll have to do this again. I don't believe it." Um, it turns out we what what we're assuming is the medication that I last my last batch medication contained no medication. So how does that happen? I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm trying a new brand now, so something weird. Well, that's what we're hoping. Either that, or there's something even more complicated going on. We're mm-hmm. hoping it's just the medication. Yeah. So yeah. Sorry. <laughs> that was really boring you can edit that out <laughs> no no you're fine well i mean everybody's got their story it's just like the thing that it, i i kind of wanted to tease you about but it is you know you mentioned being an optimist and it's like and it's evident in your story like there's so many things you've gone through but just i, I wanted to tease you about both triathlon and being an artist both are, at least in my opinion, like notoriously hard ways to make a living. Yet, yeah. <laughs> and then on top of that, like all the issues, there's just something like I wonder sometimes if you know people like yourself, if there's just something, is there something genetic? Like, what is it that makes you continue to just to get up every day and just keep trudging forward, even if like everything's shit? And you're not sure where the light at the end of the tunnel is. You're just like, all right, like, <laughs> keep going, you know, and, and you don't. It, and obviously, it's hard to sum up 15 years of experience in one conversation. I'm sure there were times when you were probably felt crushed. Um, but somehow you continue going forward. So I, I just on a personal level, I just always I wonder what that is is that just the human spirit you know what 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 is it that keeps people like you moving forward despite all the issues i guess um well i suppose i always have had that internal drive i was described as um described or um what do they say like you're you're at the time was i was a functional depressive Mm -hmm. well great thanks for that (laughs) i want to do that um uh, and so, and then they just pump in more medication. So yeah. I get up with this mission that I ha- felt like I had to do. Um, and I suppose that's what kept me driving. But right now, I mean, I can say I'm like, I am a totally different person. I'm super happy because um, I feel like I'm on the right path and doing what I'm meant to be doing. Mm-hmm. And I suppose that optimism that, you know, that you are on the right path. Um, whereas, yeah, I guess I didn't have that before. I felt, I, well, I felt like I was, but I was waiting for it. I was like, I just get this out of the way. I've just got to, I've just got to perform quickly and get it out of the way, finish it, put it to bed. Um, and the longer that performance didn't happen, I was like, oh, another year, another year, just one more year, one more year. Um, but yeah, just um, yeah, so much better now. And I suppose I, I, I do also. Um, and not to get kind of uh, corny or anything, but I do believe in something else. And I think that has really helped me, um, mm. like some sort of spiritual element. I don't know, believing in that there is, you know, like I've read a lot of help, self-help books through the years. And, um, and I suppose what you say more kind of 
I don't know, have you heard of Eckhart Tolle? Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, like this, reading his books, things like that. That's, I mean, that's really, really helped. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, you know, in so with the, so Sopri has makes, we make skincare, body care products for athletes. And I try to make all the products evidence-based, but then on a personal level, like, I still kind of have feelings like you do at times um, where it's like, I, I don't go to church. I don't, I'm not particularly religious, but there's just, sometimes there's just feels like there's a gravity to what's happening in your life where you're being pushed or pulled in a certain direction. And it's like, you have, you have the opportunity to continue to fight against it, or you can just you know, go with the flow and like allow that that gravity to take you in that direction instead of saying, uh, you know, I think although you on a much higher level, kind of in a similar case, I was trying to be a pro triathlete for a long time and I got, I crashed and broke my collarbone, had a surgery. And um, so like the gravity kind of took me away from that back towards like doing the things that, you know, maybe I should be doing the businesses. And I recently like started composing music and, you know, back to like that kind of stuff and it it's still training but like feel like you said where you are now feel happier and like you're doing what you're supposed to be doing you know yeah so i can certainly identify with that that idea that you know maybe there's something and i always kind of think of it in this case is like even if there isn't anything if if that's how you feel you're not hurting anybody and you know it makes you happy then what does it matter you know yeah exactly and I think as well it like when you find like that absolute true joy in the moment that is being in the flow isn't it and the more times you have that in the day the happier you are um Mm -hmm. I, I can genuinely feel like there's at least once a day I can get into that complete euphoria moment we're in the flow, either painting or I tend to run to the studio and back. That's my way of getting here. And it's only three or four K, mm-hmm. but it's enough to get that kind of flow feeling if I'm not too unfit. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, otherwise, it's not a flow feeling at all. Um, right. Sometimes I run the long way here, which is like eight K. And um, if I'm trying to get fit. Um, yeah, and I think like... I think it's like just really, um, you know, um, relishing in those moments of complete the flow state, um, which is so common for anyone who's creative or does sport, you know. Mm-hmm. I kind of have a goal nowadays um, where I, I will say I'm a little bit back and forth at times where I get real, um, I'll say manic. I don't mean that in a clinical sense, but um Uh, you know real manic about like i've got to work harder and make the business go faster and like you know just just that same a type sport personality where you're like just push 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 but i recently stepped back after speaking um with ezra firestone several episodes ago he's a big business guy um does martial arts and i've kind of made it a goal of like every single day i have to do something that i think is fun or that brings joy to my life you know doesn't matter whether it's five minutes or two hours just i have to do something and that at least for the last few weeks has like kept me grounded to, to like chill out it's gonna be okay 
Yeah, yeah, it's good. And yeah, it's funny you say that as well, though, because those euphoric moments for me are often the moments where I'm like full speed. Okay. <laughs> it's like, and I suppose probably really high dopamine, probably either had too much coffee or <laughs> it, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's really hard to differentiate, whatever that was, you know, between being totally in the moment and really with really high dopamine. Um, so which is probably a bit it's probably actually probably overly st- overly stimulated but it feels good mm-hmm. <laughs> and so maybe that is the athlete in me but actually um I don't know yeah I can uh, I don't know it's um, over there is psychedelics uh, legal over there uh no well I think Colorado is getting ready to uh, legalize if they haven't um marijuana is legal in a number of states but not federally it's kind of a mixed bag at the moment um yes yeah psychedelics are not legal over here (laughs) that's kept what i say um but i have eaten some truffles let's just say and let's go and say (laughs) i picked some mushrooms from richmond park and um they are they are amazing for a depression um b for connecting like making new neural pathways in your brain mm-hmm. uh, I, after reading um, a mind of your own um mm-hmm. it's a book by michael pollan i think okay i've read he, some of his other stuff yeah and there's and um like ben greenfield mm-hmm yeah, he's big into psychedelics and he takes a little um, bit of a um, little bit every three days or, you know, like microdosing. Micro, micro yeah. yeah. Um, although probably a good trip is probably life changing, but I'm just talking about microdosing stuff. Um, it's, it's changed my brain this year. And I actually think that's probably what's made me realize, made me um, not really know that I was so interactive. Mm-hmm. Because my brain was so changed in a positive way that usually I would have picked up being so interactive through my mood dropping. And I think even though I obviously had less energy, I just just like, oh, well, I need to do my art anyway. I don't need energy. I just do my art. I don't need to be running. Um, also, I had COVID at the beginning of March. So I thought it was related to that. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I actually think that because my brain is actually working better, um, despite being so interactive, um, yeah, I just I didn't notice it. And but I'm also happier. I think quicker. Um, I can I start to put things together that I wouldn't usually put together, and start to work out problems that I wouldn't have been able to work out before. Um, and creativity wise, it's um, great. Although I don't feel like I'm super very well at the moment, probably because I am so interactive. <laughs> I've had a lot of clips. You know, been beating in turps all day. That's my excuse. But um, yeah, so I don't know how I got into that conversation, but in terms what, of, I think that the way forward for mental health. Yeah, I, you, I mean, you're talking to me, so which you don't know, but I get down rabbit holes very easily. <laughs> <laughs> but so, so thinking about, I mean, now you know, like internally, you felt the difference between kind of where you are and then where you were. Can you think of how would you? Is there a way to communicate the after state to the person you were before? Do you know what I mean? 
like how to how to like can is there a way so say you had to go back in time and convince yourself that this is a good idea that your brain's going to change and that you're going to feel better is there a way to talk to yourself and say like you need to realize this isn't normal yeah um Yeah, as I think I think I knew, I think I knew at the time, uh, it definitely wasn't normal, mm-hmm. but I didn't know there was a way out of it. Okay. Yeah, I I don't know. I felt like I, yeah, at the time, it's I suppose I was saying this to my partner actually the other day that it's like even like even just within space of this week, when when I found out I was um, so underactive, and I was like, oh gosh that explains it and then I was given I just get I took some old T4 medication which I usually don't tolerate very well um and I think it was partly due and that partly caused some of the depression and I took some of that and I was like a bit nervous about taking some so I I just took a little bit and I automatically felt so much better um and that and I think it was just purely because I had some thyroid in the brain, whereas before I just didn't have anything going on. So I had some at least. And so that day, and I'd slept well, I slept better the night before. And so I, I felt like, oh yeah, we're, who needs those tests? Those tests are obviously wrong. You know, I feel amazing. Life's amazing. Uh, and uh, then the next, that, that night, I was so hyper. That night, I didn't even sleep. I woke up in the morning, absolutely screwed. I felt like, oh no, feeling everything I had before, you know, with all, you know, this medication is just bringing everything back. I can't, what I'm going to do, I haven't got anything else. Um, it was going to end, you know, and I have to keep reminding myself, no matter what you were like yesterday, but it, I was, I, I'm so kind of reactionary and so like, so in the now, it's very hard, it's hard to kind of foresee how you're going to be when you are, like, even when I'm feeling really good, I can. I just feel like I'm going to be like that forever, mm-hmm. and I completely forget about the way I used to feel. Yeah. That's that's got to be tough. Where it's like you, that almost a feeling of being in the moment is, is, trapping in a way. And you forget. <laughs> yeah. You forget that. Oh, I felt different, what? or I might feel different later. Yeah, Eckhart Tolle. What do you say about that? <laughs> <laughs> so, um. Before we get too deep down this rabbit hole, I don't want to run out of time. Uh, tell me about the art. Um, when I was looking at your website, it seems like you mostly work on large canvas. Like you're not going to sit down with like an eight by ten. Well, I guess that's, that's in inches. I don't know what it is in centimeters. Um, you're not going to sit down with a, a paper sized piece of canvas. It seems like I you're struggle. almost all large, yeah, large stuff. Pretty big. I mean, I don't know if I can move this easel yeah we can try to do a walk around if you if you're up for it um okay i've got it like that's i don't know what that is seven foot something by four foot i think um i mean I, I, and then this is this self portrait and you wouldn't believe how many times i've had to repaint this bloody thing um <laughs> for a competition otherwise i wouldn't be painting myself but this has basically i should do that i should do the video um of the different faces uh-huh. so this is a massive kind of um i let myself just paint it every day depending on how i felt about myself and my mood um so it's it's had about 30 different faces underneath that 
Okay. And it's crazy how much, how different every single one is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually think part of the art of that, I think I might, I think I might um, hand in the video. Mm-hmm. Like, because um, it's meant it's meant to be like a self-portrait competition, you see, for yeah, just a chance over um, lockdown. And then this is another one, so I probably should have taken the phone off the stand. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, this is also six foot. Um, and then the rest I have like I'm going to take off. Um, and then I also have about thirty big ones. Or thirty in total, and then about twenty big ones stacked up. Stacked, yeah. And then I have um, put loads of tiny little um, things on the wall with an aim to painting on them, but I haven't painted on them. <laughs> so is that like, is there any reason that you have to go big? Is it? Is it? I suppose I kind of feel it's really hard to put the energy you're feeling into a small painting. Mm-hmm. Like it's really hard to um, put on the music loud and um, and slip, swing your arms around in the with the, the rhythm of the music onto a tiny little piece of paper or piece of board yeah. or, but you can do it really easily with a six foot canvas. Yeah. <laughs> so so yeah, what, are you, what are you listening to when you've, when you're painting? Oh, all sorts. Um, I go through phases depending on my mood. Um, depend, yeah. Like lately, I've had to just take um, music with no voice because mm-hmm. uh, it's easier to get into the flow with. But mm. sometimes I have really high energy, and you know, nothing can phase me. I like to put on some like nineties dance music or something. <laughs> dance whilst I'm painting. Um, but all sorts. I mean, I love anything really, apart from like heavy metal stuff yeah yeah um so this is the thing that always fascinates me about people that end up like really pursuing art um is i mean you went to school for art and it just i this is maybe i'm a party pooper because i guess so i'll give you my history and my kind of biases yeah. I, I started college as a music composition major and oh. I switched majors. I'd been doing music theory for several years. I switched majors my second year, like halfway through my second year of college, because I was like, there's no way I can make a living doing this. Like, I just got too practical and, oh. and, and moved away from it. And like I told you, I'm, I'm now finally writing stuff um, and bought a keyboard and software and all that kind of things I can do that with. So so maybe it's my practical mind that goes, how do you decide I'm going to do this and like, I'm going to, you know, actually make a go of it without, you know, how do you get through those doubts, I guess? Yeah. Um, well, I, after I finished triathlon, I mean, I did like do loads of things. I started studying fashion and different short courses. And then obviously I studied functional medicine. I did two courses in that thinking I would, be a health coach um and then I started writing up um like health programs of business it was called protocol eight did that for two years and this was all because I doubted that I could make a living completely with my art and and I, at the same time I was doing my art through the whole thing um 
And so again, I was, I was like, I put myself in exactly the same situation that I've been doing my whole life. Instead of focusing on one thing, I've hedged my bets. I've mm-hmm. done things and um, spreading my focus. And, you know, and I guess I've got, you've probably got that type of mind too, that you, you're always looking for new things and it, it, like, you get enjoyment out of it. You want to keep learning new things and yep. you get into that isn't there and that I, I love studying like I'd love to go back to uni and start studying something else um but then I just had to this year was, uh, it was like halfway through last year as I if you need if you want to be an artist the only way is to be to really be successful as an artist is to completely 100% focus on it and if you want to study something study arts <laughs> just learn as much as you can with art just yeah and um I'm just gonna I it is tempting for me like I'm, I am looking at the things all the time you know mm-hmm. but um now I can start to feel like the the benefits of focusing um and and how, how much I'm improving um from focusing now so so give me a little bit more insight into like how does making a living work? Like I know um, one of my art teachers from high school, um, he's a clay artist and he started getting, after he retired from teaching and he could just focus full time on his stuff, he started getting, you know, national exhibits and all these kind of things. But he had such a tough time because he's got 3D works. People can't put them on the walls. They don't know where to put them. So it was very tough for him to sell pieces, you know, especially with the amount of time it takes for his like very masterful pieces. Um, I'll see if I have a link. I'll, I'll send it to you afterwards. But so, so how does that work for you? Do you, you know, do you do kind of the traditional route? We get into galleries and the galleries sell pieces or, or how does that work for you? Well, so far I've been um, selling like through the internet. Um, mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I was doing. But in this last, um, half a year I've been really trying to um, more experiment and get work together like a body of work together that I can then go to a gallery with mm-hmm. or put my own exhibition on with but yeah it is really tough and it's going to it's going to be even worse now through COVID like people are not going to have the money to spend on that so mm-hmm. we just have to make sure I mean there's a I'm in a really good group here um, in the studio with there's a group of four or five of us or more really but four or five of us are really determined um and we're discussing how we're going to do group shows and do something special I suppose I mean everyone every artist thinks that I guess but we need to be thinking of what's like something different something Mm -hmm. different that's going to you know catch the attention of people in the the imagination and just do what's genuine to us as well at the same time obviously that's massive yeah um but yeah I mean what else can we do we just have to keep going um and uh and then yeah just just hope (laughs) (laughs) that's fair that's I think there's times when you um there's this metaphor about stepping off a cliff and not being sure if you can fly you know there's sometimes it feels like that um I, I do want to ask you about what you think about this. So there's this kind of notorious, and I think I'll, I'll be upfront, terrible idea, but there's this notorious idea about like 
you know, if you get to the point that you're commercially successful, you make a living from, you know, selling your art, that somehow you become a sellout. You're no longer genuine. Do you yeah. ha- have you dealt with that? Do you experience anybody kind of giving that kind of grief or or am I off base? Well, have I experienced a sellout? Well, if, if I, have you experienced people, cause, you know, because you've sold sold pieces, right? Yeah. So have you had anybody like people that maybe are not doing as well be like, oh, well, she just like she doesn't make real art anymore. Oh, I see. Yeah. I mean, yes, I have had that before. Um, I w- went down the line of doing kind of celebrities for a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, partly because I was managed by Elton John's company. Yeah. And I was like, well, you know, what, what contacts do you have? <laughs> like, who can I paint? Yeah. Um, and, um, and it was fun. And I met a load of people. And most of them I didn't keep. But um, so Ben Kingsley bought his. And so that was good. He loved it. Um, and there's a few that did. And I, I did manage to sell some. And some got painted over. Um, but I remember at the time, and it, it certainly paid the rent and it paid tra- for travel on and paid for lots of things. Um, but I remember at the time, my cousin, who was a video artist and was like pure art uh, <laughs> in his head, um, he he said, oh, you know, um, you, you just made very demeaning comments, basically, you know, oh, oh yeah, how are you going to get out of it? I was like, what? <laughs> Like I like it was some awful chore that I was man, I was painting famous people mm. and getting good money for it, because um, um, he just didn't consider it art, I suppose. Um, mm-hmm. But I still think it's that you as long as you're being genuine whilst you're painting and you're mm. being you're in the flow. If you're on the flow, I feel like the flow state is without ego, and if you're without ego, then that's the genuine state. That's the that's genuine, authentic work. So it's still the same. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, I definitely feel like I'm pushing my work. I wouldn't do that again. And I definitely feel like I'm pushing my work to a much better level now um, because I'm, I'm not, you know, painting famous people and stuff. But I think, you know, it was, it was the time and the place for it, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's the thing I think about when it's like people will say, oh, you're a sellout or this or that. It's like, like you said, it, if you're still being genuine to yourself, like, it's, I don't know if, I guess you could say you're a sellout if you're just like doing reproductions and selling them on the street or something. But again, if that's something you want to do, I, there's, there's such a broad definition. I, I just feel like y- you almost get that accusation. If the things that make you unique as an artist become recognized and people identify with those things, yeah. then it's like, the people that haven't got that yet, then it's like jealousy, basically. Most of the yeah. time. Yeah. I mean, it's coming from a good place if people say that. Yeah. I, I, I wonder if it's a limitation or a cultural issue where people don't believe that, like... Do you know what I mean if I say it's, it's not a zero-sum game? It's not a zero-second game? Some. Oh, is there some game? No, not really. So uh, I'm talking about game theory, but basically the idea of a zero sum game is if it's like triathlon is a zero sum game. One person can win. If that person wins, everybody else loses. Yeah. I don't, I don't believe, especially in the creative space, 
that it's a zero-sum game. If you win, that doesn't mean that everybody else loses. It actually could make it easier because you're bringing like notoriety to to the artist or a painting style or a group of people. Like, it, then it's very, very different, and that's why I love art in comparison to sport. It's it's so different. They don't, there's not that competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, feeling here at all everyone's supportive and encouraging people to apart from a cousin of course but yeah <laughs> encouraging people to um to create amazing work and to um and we help we talk about art all day and we help feed each other with ideas we help each other we look at each other's art you know it, it's a, such a different feeling mm-hmm. and I suppose that probably does happen with you know in in some sporting environments but as you say there's only one winner at the end of the day isn't there yeah yeah so i i because you have i mean i don't know how to describe your style because i'm just not versed enough in art to say it's like this or that but i i love it um i'm wondering like like do you have a method for becoming inspired for pieces or is it just this is what i'm going to paint today um so I wouldn't even know how to describe my style. So, yeah, don't worry about that. <laughs> I guess there's a frugative element to it. Um, but, yeah, my what, the way I'm pushing myself at the moment is basically to be as intuitive as possible. And to so being in that kind of um, flow state for me is really important to not be overthinking um, and to not be negatively judging it whilst I'm painting. But usually what ends up happening is it's very difficult to hold that flow state for a long time. And I end up kind of like coming in in and out of like painting intuitively and then coming back, standing back from it. And then my ego and judgment is like looking at it and like, oh my God, what's that? And then I'm trying to redo things. And I get the little tiny paintbrushes out and try and like correct stuff. And then actually what all that does is it just starts to look not as good. It looks so much better when I have big paintbrushes and I'm just going for it. Um, and but so then the, but often in these paint latest paintings, I've got these this kind of quite interesting push and pull it's almost like different human psyches you know like trying to take control and then you've got the you know the the paint where the paints are almost more in control it's quite interesting so as we're starting to run low on time um we'll jump back over to sport so i'm asking everybody this year i think might be particularly interesting from your perspective um, I want to know what everybody thinks the purpose of sport is. Um, push ourselves to see what we're capable of. Uh, uh, me personally or in a human level? Either. Um, to see what we're capable of. For me, I, used, I mean, I, I, that's for me personally, but I'm pretty sure that's um probably the case for you know just to push the boundaries um Mm. and get into um that euphoria um moment yeah (laughs) no that's good that's good there's there's this is one of those the star trek question there's no wrong answer (laughs) it's just it's it's so different for everybody that's it's a it's a question that fascinates me uh, especially because it relates to motivation. Like, why are we out there doing these things yeah. that 
you know, it doesn't really matter and, and that kind of thing. So, um, I think inspiration, sorry, just to add to that no, one no, really go. quick, um, is I did use to question it my whole time as an athlete. Why am I doing this? It's so selfish. Um, um, you know, and try and, try and um, find almost like a, a reason that I thought, why, why is it not selfish? And I was like, well, it does inspire people. You know, when someone does something amazing, you are inspired by it. And there's so many top athletes out there that we all love to watch and we feel like a huge connection with, don't we? And it's like everyone comes together, everyone's inspired, everyone's uplifted. And, you know, um, we need that in our lives. So from that point of view, I think um, that's why we need to do sport and at that level. Sounds good. Um Vanessa, if people want to see your art, aside from our video, um, see what you're up to, follow you, where can they find you? Um, probably Instagram's the best at the moment because I need to update my website. That's <laughs> <laughs> um, pretty poor at the moment, but Instagram at VKRaw. Can you spell that? V-K-N-R-A-W. Uh, okay. Just because I... I was like, our, our audio is like freezing and stopping. So I just want to make sure that I was correct. All right. Thanks for hanging out with me today, Vanessa. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Really nice. Thank you.